My next guest is Danny Miranda. He's on a mission to help 1 million people building better habits. He's also the host of the Danny Miranda podcast. You can find him on Twitter at HeyDannyMiranda. Thanks so much for being here, Danny, for joining Noble Warrior. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to get into it. One of the things that's really endearing for me is your ability to hold space. And I want to start there because your ability to listen so intently and powerfully, I will have you and, and your guest say new things that surprise even themselves. And then that is an unusual ability, especially at a young age that you are in right now. So if you can delve into more of that, I'll really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that comes from a place of listening to myself. I often wasn't curious about the world around me. I often wasn't really a good listener at all for all my life. But I think that changed when I started to meditate and when I started to listen to my own thoughts. And when was that? That was at age 24. So approximately Mm. three years ago, Mm. two and a half maybe. And I started to really listen to myself. And I was like, wow, there's a voice in here that's speaking that's that hasn't been paid attention to for a long time. And I started to listen to that voice and I listened some more and I listened to more. And then I was like, wow, I'm, I'm really curious about the world around me. You know, what are other people saying? What are their ideas? And then the better that I got at listening to myself, the better I got at listening to the world around me. So for me, it was internal first and then external later on. And it was just a, a wonderful discovery of, oh, wow, I, I really can listen to people well. And this is coming from somebody who, who wasn't a good listener, wasn't curious before. So yeah, if I could do it, I feel like anyone can. It feels like to me. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to push you a little bit on that because I would say when people start to listen to themselves and they tend to be, they, they, they treat that voice as real their thoughts, their feelings, emotions, their mental images. Oh, then they go into this narcissistic almost mm. way of thinking about all oh, the world is, you know, my, my thoughts, my ideas is the world basically, but you yeah. actually went in a whole different direction. You, you got curious about other people in their life. So, so, so say a little bit more about that because that's an unusual direction typically when people starting paying attention to what's happening inside their mind yeah what i realized was that i wasn't the voice at all and that these voices that i was hearing my own voices were not representative of me maybe they were representative of a given mood that i was in in any given day but when i did a 60 minute meditation session i would sometimes often notice that my thoughts would contradict each other. So if they were to contradict each other within a 60 minute time frame, then like those thoughts clearly aren't me because it's like, oh wow, I'm really bored. Oh wow, I'm really excited. Well, it's like it to me, it was fascinating because the more that I witnessed my thoughts, the more that I realized I wasn't those thoughts at all, which made me more curious. And so the reason why I didn't feel attached to them is because I saw how contradictory they were. Hmm. 
Okay, so since okay, I'm gonna come back to you about other people, you know, as a listener, space holder, all that stuff later on. This is important, so make sure I come back to that. But、okay. since we're talking about meditation, you're also really big on doing radical self experiments, and then one experiment that you did is 60 days, 60 minutes of meditation. So, and that's what you're referring to, right? Yeah, and that continued on past the 60 days, probably、mm. till. For another six months after that, because I was just so curious about myself, and I stopped doing that when I, I kind of felt like I wasn't gaining anything from it anymore.、Mm. Um, but there was just like habits. Habits have periods where they go and they, and they're exciting, and then they're not. So I guess I, I entered into a period where it wasn't as exciting. I wasn't showing up for myself as I wanted to, and so I. I was like, "Wow, I need to do this again in the future, but not right now. Now is not the right time for me to do it." But so we can talk about habits. I'm sure <laughs> we can keep going on that too. Yeah. But but I wanted to double click on what you discovered during the meditative process. Yeah. And by the way, what you have done sounds a lot like vipassana. Have you heard of that before? Have you done it? Yeah. It's the It's the ten day silent retreat.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't done it, but I've heard of it. Yeah, I think、um, as a as a as a radical seeker that you are, I think you really enjoy that. And <clears throat> I'll describe briefly for those that don't know what what pasana is. Essentially, is ten days of silence.、Um, you're with other people, but you don't make eye contact with other people. Wow. And you don't have any note-taking devices whatsoever. The whole idea of this ten-day experience is that you are with you and your thoughts alone. And and、um, and obviously they provide food, and you have a sleeping quarter and all those things. But essentially, you、uh, take on being a monk, you know, monastic lifestyle for ten days, and. I have done many, many different radical self experiments as well, and that、uh, this was one of the most difficult things I've ever done. And I've done lots of different things. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm really looking forward to trying that out because it's been on my to do list for quite some time. Is yeah, just explore the mind for for that period of time. And and I think you enjoy it because of the intensity of this、uh, radical introspection. Yeah. You you've done it for one hour per day, right? This is you wake up at sometimes at four thirty in the morning, depending on how early you want to wake up. Officially, you're supposed to wake up at five thirty ish, and then you meditate for basically two hour at a time, ninety minutes at a time. And if you want, you don't take break; you can continue to meditate throughout. But it's ninety ninety minute cycles from five thirty all the way to roughly about six p.m. at night. And then you just continue to do that for ten days. Wow! Yeah, yeah, that that's powerful. And、yeah. I I did something similar, which was like a five day retreat with no speaking to anybody. But I did bring books and I did bring journals and、yep. I brought additional resources that I think in vipassana are not allowed or or are not used. Yeah, no one's gonna police you about what、yeah. to do or what not to do. They、right. just advise you not to do it because the whole idea is is this: when you speak to someone, you're expending energy. 
mm. right? When you read books, when you're taking out notes, you're now not being with yourself. Yep. You're out of the present moment effectively. So the idea is that you are continuously noticing what's arising from within you, mental images, body sensations, thoughts, emotions. Allow yourself to watch the, the, uh, the coming and going, the impermanence of these things. So wow. how, how often have you done it? Oh, I've done one time. <laughs> I haven't oh, returned really? since. Yeah, it was, wow. it was the most challenging thing I've done. Uh, and I'm also of this. Um, my spiritual practice is more along the line of plant medicine. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so that's the, the, the style that I like more. I like things intense, but not drawn out for 10 days. Gotcha. That's my personal preference. So that's why I haven't returned, you know, haven't had the 10 day block yet. Have you considered adding the psychedelic to the Vipassana? I I remember Tim Ferriss talking about it and he, he did that to intensify the experience. Right. But that's, that's fucking with the program. You see what I mean? Totally. Totally. (laughs) Because the idea is you do it pure. Right. without any kind of catalyst actually right that's a huge part of it there's no catalyst of any source you just allow yourself to to be uh, all natural be with your thoughts rather than trying to mess with the you know and trying to amp up some emotions or thoughts even more so yeah technically you're not supposed to do that <laughs> well we'll send the letter to Tim after this and, and explain to him what he's doing wrong uh i mean you know he, Tim, Tim is Tim. I actually met him um, at Burning Man. He camped at our Burning Man uh, camp, uh, and it was a, it was a beautiful experience watching him as a regular human, uh, not just the persona Tim Ferriss, but as a as a regular human. Yeah, and I'm sure when you get to that level of stardom, the persona, and even when you do something like a podcast in any respect, it's like the persona versus actual human and it's like the best people at it can authentically express themselves as they are and there's a a closed gap between the persona and the real person who you would encounter on the street and it's why we feel like we know joe rogan or we feel like we know tim ferris without actually meeting him because it feels as if that's the real guy and we have the sense for when people are putting on a front and so, yeah, I, uh, it's something I'm cognizant of as somebody who does podcasts. It's like, is this really what I would say if I was talking to this person at this moment? Or is this something that I want people to see me as a particular way? So I'm going to change subconsciously parts of my being to present that to the world. Yeah. I really appreciate that level of self-awareness <clears throat> is... Am I authentically expressing who I really am to uh, another human, Danny Miranda, C.K. Lynn, whoever, or am I p- trying to project, you know, perform to the audience like, hey, look at me. I'm so awesome. I'm so smart. I'm so brilliant. I'm so wise. Yeah. You know, a performative component to it. And obviously, you know, this, it's all, a perf- there is a performative component to it, but I do my best, you know, to just focus on, women I'm speaking to as a human rather than trying to like, hey, we are all performing here, kind of. Yeah. That's the way I think about it. 
my brother listens to i think every podcast that i do and amazing i know what a brother i, I know he's the best <laughs> that's awesome really blessed and oh, man and he said to me i did episode 61 with ali abdal mm -hmm. and my intro for the episode was you know guys i dropped the ball on this one i wasn't as present as i normally am i didn't ask the questions that i wanted to i wasn't able to flow with the conversation and that's what i said as the intro and my brother said oh my god i've never heard a podcast where the person admitted like their own fault or like explained their own fault before it started and i thought wow like that did he like it did he kind of like ah you shouldn't have done that or you know well, how did, how did he receive your public admission he he appreciated it he was mm. like wow this is really authentic this is is awesome and funnily enough a lot of people commented like that was just in your head that mm. that you did a bad job at that episode like i thought it was great or i didn't notice a difference mm -hmm. so yeah it, it's just funny the voice we have in our head and maintaining authentic expression but yeah to that point right circling back to the meditation conversation because we are not part of my big takeaway from the vipassana experiences the silence the boredom became such a container that compressed all of my thoughts feelings emotions all of it at the same time so as the day goes on longer and longer it becomes more and more um compress and, and, and bigger uh, um, high pressure crucible and, and the biggest takeaway from it is i am not my thoughts or my feelings emotions or my body sensations or my mental images how could i be this ever-present um awareness just watch just like the ocean waves coming and going that's a huge takeaway in a very, not intellectual understanding, but a visceral understanding like, oh, okay. Anyways, yeah. what, when, why I brought that up is when you analyze or self-assess afterwards, how do you not let your evaluate, evaluation voice or critical voice taking over of what you actually did. So I think you are right, and also your your supporters were right as well. So how do you choose which perspectives, which narrative to take on as you are on this journey to be the the next generation, Joe Rogan, Oprah, and so forth? Right. I think that a previous version of myself would have attached my identity to what I felt like the performance or the the podcast was like oh I did a bad job therefore I am bad at podcasting but with the benefit of meditation and understanding that I am not what I just thought about this episode I was like listen that was one performance that was one podcast on the road to many so that doesn't define me that just was one example of me not doing the craft to the level that i think i can and so i mean that's how i i don't let it i just keep moving and continue on mm. so we're still in the realm of conversation right conversation as a listener conversation as a podcaster conversation yeah. as an interviewer who in your mind 
is that person who is the same, who has the same persona, private, public and private, who just embodies how they really are. Yeah, I mean, I don't know because I don't live with them, but <laughs> it's like in a, from, an experience, emotional experience. Yeah, from the emotional experience, Joe Rogan is one, Tim Ferriss、uh -huh. is another. Okay,、um, where it seems to me like, oh wow, like these are real people who are willing to just be themselves in in a real way, and perhaps it's just by virtue of Doing it for eight years and twelve,、mm. thirteen years, right? Like, the longer you do it, the more I believe the connection happens. If you're self-aware, the connection being between the performative person and the the real self.、Um, mm. And I think the more you do it, the better you get at speaking your truth to the camera, speaking your truth to the listeners. Mm. Mm. I know you give them a lot of credit, the Joe Rogans and the Tim Ferriss, and which I also appreciate.、Um, I think、um, this is my second podcast, and I stop my first podcast after six episodes, and then、uh, my friend pointed me to Joe Rogan, said, "Hey, listen to Joe Rogan one to one hundred versus Joe Rogan one thousand.、Totally. You can see the progression of his skills." As a as a as an interviewer, the quality of questions that he has, the space he holds, how he interjects, and so forth, you could see the progression, right? So,、um, my friend told me, don't compare yourself to someone who has been the, at the, in the game for a thousand episodes versus、yes. who was just at the beginning. So I was like, oh yeah, that's right. So I, I keep remembering,、oh, okay, be you know, Joe Rogan one thousand you know, as a, as an inspiration to keep going. So、uh, that was a segue to this this thing though. What they're doing amazing. I think what you bring is something else altogether. That's what I was gonna take on.、Oh. Your ability to provide that space for people to go deep is way different than the Joe Rogans or the Tim Ferriss. My perspective, not the truth, of course, because. The the guest who goes on their show say lots of content, and they're really good at delving into different aspects of the content of their guest, their expertise, their life experiences, and so forth. But what makes your listening ability unique is you allow people to bear their soul on your show. And I'm not the only one who has ever said that to you. I'm sure. Could you say a little bit more about that? What makes、yeah. your listening ability, that space that you create, that special? Well, first of all, thank you for the kind words. And second, I do feel like I'm doing something different than them and a lot of other podcasts I listen to. And the difference is. A lot of people are focused on the what, and、mm -hmm. I'm focused on the who.、Mm -hmm. I'm focused on the person themselves, and focused on what makes them them. But like, what's beneath what they normally talk about, right? And it it frustrates me when I get the same answers that I've heard on other podcasts. It frustrates me when 
I'm not able to get them speaking about something they didn't even know they had. And the reason why it frustrates me is because my aim with the conversation is not to like get a trick or a tip or, or something like that out. It's to get them at their deepest level. And you can't always do that with one hour with somebody you just met. But the better I am at the craft, for me, it's about how can I get this person to bear part of their soul to this conversation? And so that's that's a great insight by you. Yeah, I mean, I'm listening to your stuff. I'm saying to myself, holy shit, like this guy can get people to the depth of their soul, like they did the, the, this the soul expression within such a short amount of time is impressive. Because my uh, podcast experience is 90 minutes or longer. I just need that much more runway in order to, you know, tear, you know, t- tear away the, 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 the superficial layers but you can yeah. just like cut right through it. That is impressive to me. And, and as you know already, <clears throat> I contextualize my questions with a lot of <laughs> words <laughs> as a way to get at this intangible quality, this essence I'm trying to get at. Whereas your questions are succinct and elegant, you give people a lot of space. So you actually don't say a lot. So say more about that because that, is your unique superpower. Thank you. Um, One thing Joe Rogan talks about sometimes with comedians is the economy of words and how a good comedian uses a very little amount of words to get their point across. And I think about that sometimes when I'm re-listening to my old episodes. How can I use less words to get across the same point. I remember so specifically listening to episode 36 with Kevin Lee. And there were so many things when I listened to them back, I said, no, 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 you could have said this much shorter. And so that when I had my episode with Gary V, I chopped down so much of what I would have said. And I think it's a a balance. Live or post? Live. I, okay. I don't, I edit very little uh, mm. for my podcast because I want to show the real progression. I plan on doing this for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Mm-hmm. And so I want to show this is me at episode 200. Now look at me at episode 1000. I want, because I don't want to put on a front of something that I'm not using the power of editing. And mm. maybe that's my own flaw. Maybe I'd grow faster as a podcast if I made it 10 minute episodes and chopped it up. But like, I want people to see the real progression of who I am. And so if it takes longer, it takes longer. But I, I'm committed to that process of getting better. And how I get better is re-listening to old episodes and seeing how much I would take for an answer or a question and then say, oh, you could say that in a lot less by saying X, Y, or Z. So let me ask you a question. <clears throat> How often do you listen to your old episodes? And then and when you listen, is it from the perspective of a critic or is it a perspective of a fan? Both. And that's a superpower. So I listen to every episode over now. I started doing that for the past like 20 episodes because I'm doing timestamps for each episode. So I'm like, 
writing out, I'm listening to it at 2x speed. But sometimes I'll just go back and listen to it at 1.5 speed, random old episodes. And some part of me is like, wow, that's really good. Like, you're really good at this, Danny. And another part of me is like, dude, what were you thinking? Why didn't you expand on this point? What's So I have both. And uh, that that is a superpower from my perspective because if you can look at the good and look at the bad, you probably get a real sense for the truth of what is going on. Now, I want to double click on that point <clears throat> because especially for overachievers or the overachiever types, most of them just wear the critic role uh, yeah. when they listen back to their stuff. I think that's fine. It pushes the quality of work even higher. That's good. But at the same time, I think it's healthier to wear both the, the fan as well as the critic. Because in my mind, if we don't nurture our soul ourselves, if we're waiting for other people to validate our work versus our own, I just don't think it's healthy. I think it's healthier if you if one could, you know, be our biggest fan. I listen to my own podcast as well. That's why I ask. I think it's badass. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Right. It's like, yeah, this is good stuff. You know, and and that's the same time also think, hey, um, here's what worked, here's what didn't work, here's what's missing, how 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 one could get better next time. Totally. So, and yeah. no, I think they're both so important. And I think what I, what I often find from interviewing so many people is like the negative one, they're fueled by the negative. And I just think that leads to a, it leads to a worse place from my perspective. It leads to you're using fuel that is, is not the best energy source. And when you can use the fuel of positivity, it's almost like it's never ending. It's like, imagine love, like there's no end to the amount of love that you can feel. And it's like the love for your parent gives you more love if you really think in it and sit in it. And your love for yourself, if you really think it and sit in it, it gives you more love for the things around you. But it's like the hate, it feels like it, it's going to a, a worse place if pursued endlessly. And it feels yep. like it puts you in a worse place. The, the analogy that I give is use fuel. <clears throat> Think of basically you're, you're using 89 versus 92, right? Which kind of fuel burns cleaner? To me, yeah. joy, passion burns cleaner than say a negative emotion. So thought, I mean, powerful, don't get me wrong. Like there's real power in anger or resentment or let me show you this, right? There's real power there at the same time. It comes with a lot of residue. And then I, again, if, if I think just net net, honestly, if I even just think utilitarian wise, I want a cleaner fuel. Yeah. <laughs> but a lot of people will say to that, well, if I work with joy, maybe I won't be as motivated to do it. That's a lot of the rebuttal you often hear. I often hear when I am faced with telling people that. What's your response to that? Um, so it's an evolution of my own journey. I, in my younger days, in my 20s, I would say, yeah, you know, definitely used one that's more potent. And then, but throughout my own journey, my own development as a human, um, joy just burns more cleanly and 
also it leads to more serendipity and people want to be around the energy of joy and passion uh, and, and, and aliveness versus someone who's like, let me show you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so true. So true. And yeah. the, the rebuttal to that, just playing devil's advocate because I'm on your side, the rebuttal to that is no one wanted to be around Michael Jordan. No one wanted to be around Steve Jobs, but look what they did for society. That's the rebuttal that I'll, I'll often hear. Yeah, yeah. But for me, the life, let's see, how do I say this? I'm, so I don't know if you heard this, um, this, um, this, this quote by, uh, I think his last name is, I'm the captain of my soul. I'm the master of my fate. So if that's the case, how, what kind of life do I want to engineer? What kind of life do I want to create? Do I want to be the Michael Jordans or the Steve Jobs of the world who, yes, achieve a lot, but doesn't have the great vibe of togetherness around him? That's not my choice. I like to be in, you know, show others of what's possible living a life of joy and purpose and hence why this podcast, right? Yeah, no, I think that's beautiful. And I think that's the appropriate response because at the end of the day, you need to live with the energy that you put out. And that's why a lot of people who are, are negative or based in fear, a lot of people get upset at those people. But I feel sorry for them because... They have to live with the jealousy or the envy. And and I, I want them to feel whole. I want them to feel how I'm feeling, which is like happy and excited about life and joyous and looking in the good in others. And when I see somebody who has a quick reaction and flips somebody off or just is putting out that negativity, my first reaction is truly, man, I, I feel sorry for you. I want you to feel better. I, I want you to feel more whole. Um, and so, yeah, you have to live with the energy you put out, I think is a really important point to the whole thing. Mm. Thanks for sharing your perspective. I want to come back to the art of listening because like I said, you have a unique superpower. So I wanted to you know, really not to so much get a recipe, but just more of a, a discourse of what are you consciously doing or, or unconsciously doing that you may not be even aware of. So one thing that I that I notice is your use of silence and also your use of tempo. And and let me contextualize a little bit. <clears throat> My style is very calm, very slow. Yeah. And and but yet I contextualize a lot, right? And um so for you, you your tempo is pretty upbeat. Yeah. And you give a lot of spaciousness for your guests. And so you say very, very little. So say more about the conscious choices of tempo and, and silence as you craft this art that is your podcast. Yeah, what a deep and juicy question. Um, it, I am upbeat. I am a positive person, which comes across hopefully in the interviews but with that being said, I know the importance of giving conversation, giving interviews a space or giving the other person space to breathe because I can 
hit you with that energy nonstop. But if I do, I also need to give time for the person to hear it, for the person to settle in on it. And Chris Williamson said something. Chris Williamson's a great interviewer, host of the Modern Wisdom Podcast. He said, the importance of letting a question breathe, not wanting to interject, is actually a form of confidence because it's saying to the other person, I trust in you to answer this at your own pace whenever you feel ready. And I'd be curious to actually find out why that is. Like, why is silence a sign of confidence? But that is part of the process is like giving somebody a bunch of energy, giving them like my perspective, my view, but then also juxtaposing it with nothingness. And that creates beauty for some reason. Mm. So for you, it's a conscientious choice to, when you ask questions, be really upbeat and then silence. Actually, one thing I noticed, I don't know, since I don't see the side-by-side -side typically when, on your podcast, Yeah, all I hear is just silence. And are you doing over there doing the silent nod or say, mm-hmm, yes, and cut it out or anything like that at all? Because I don't hear anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, it's funny. It's so funny that you mentioned this because I just posted an interview with Rory Sutherland. And with Rory, him as a person is tends to talk for long amounts of time. Like he can go, I don't know, 10 minutes just speaking nonstop. And because of that, I consciously chose to add a lot of verbalized, yep, like every, every 30 seconds, I would say something because I didn't want the podcast to be Rory talking for 10 minutes at a time, me getting my next word in after that. I wanted it to be more of a back and forth. And so consciously, most of the time, 98% of the time, I let the person just be and just sit in their own thoughts. And yeah, that's a conscious choice. And to go to your point, I am nodding, letting the person know I am listening on the other side. And uh, that that's just one thing that I, I also picked up from Chris Williamson, who's great. You know um, Andrew Warner of Mixergy? Yes. Okay, yes. great. <clears throat> so Andrew um, and I, we crossed path while he was still in Santa Monica back in 2008. And... Um, I've been following his work since 2006-ish, something like that. Wow. And he his style is a little edgier, right? Yeah. A little sharper, a little bit more confrontational. He likes that kind of stuff, so which is great, right? I, I admire the the balls, right? The courage of asking to be confrontational. But one thing I also really admire is he, he I do a lot of uh-huh yes understand mm -hmm. like this type of i'm with you but he is just nothing <laughs> i i appreciate that so uh do you see yourself ever get to that point of just minimal movement just just stare into the soul of their <laughs> of their being yeah, I feel like I did that a lot when I did in-person episodes, which I did over the past uh, two weeks or so, which I'll be releasing very soon. 
on one of those you can see the intent of looking into Noah Kagan's soul. You'll be able to see me and him if you choose to listen to that because it's only one camera. The other two I did were two camera setups. And so you wouldn't be able to see me looking directly into the person's soul. But yeah, it's one thing that the audio engineer said afterwards was, wow, like you were really dialed in. You were really focused. And I think he was just witnessing what I do to the computer, what I'm doing in this moment where I'm so locked in on your eyes, where you are the only thing that matters is like how I'm approaching and thinking about it from a, a podcasting perspective. Now, that level of intensity is very intimidating for 99.9999% of, you know, uh, in the world. How do you... So you may have answered this question already, but I'm, I'm going to ask this again. Right? How do you juxtapose so it's not all heavy, all serious, all super intense, staring to your soul type of experience? So it's also jovial and fun. And yeah. Joe Rogan doesn't do that so much, right? Joe Rogan is very jovial and fun. He's a comedian. He knows how to lighten things up very quickly. So can you say a little bit more about what do you do to juxtapose the intensity of your stares? Yeah, I think that it's <laughs> it's nodding often and also giving a person a feel for my intent, right? My intent isn't gotcha or let me get something out of you. My intent is to explore your soul. And my intent is to and usually the person gets it within a first, the first question. And it's why I think people open up to me so heavily is because they realize subconsciously or consciously that I went deep into their archive to ask a first question that is something that they don't even remember about themselves often and a memory that they haven't thought about often. An example would be for David Perel. I asked him when I first interviewed him, let me... Let me learn about your high school golf team and Alec and Xander and how they operated on, on the golf team. And I know your junior year was bad, but I know your senior year, you turned it all around. Take me through that. And his reaction was just like, how did this kid know that about me? Noah Kagan asked me, were you in my text messages? I thought that was a private thing. And so when I'm, it's juxtaposed the Stark attention to that person is juxtaposed by the care and attention I'm giving their history, which mm. people take as giving attention to themselves. I love that. Because <clears throat> what you just describe, for anyone listening, wanted to be that great listener, how do you not just in the moment, give that great care, right? You have my full 100% attention, no phone, no nothing right here and now, right? The intensity at the same time to know essentially the, the arc of their history doing your prep. I'm a huge proponent of prep, not the Larry King style of no prep. Like, I don't believe in that. <laughs> I think prep is important. <laughs> well, I tried that. I tried the Larry King style. And I was like, well, I can compare that to one where I did deep prep. And for me personally, the deep prep wins every day. 
and connects with people at a deeper level. Mm, awesome. I'm going to cough for a moment. Give me a moment. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I appreciate your patience. Mm. Of course. Okay. So anything else you want to say about the the spaciousness, right? This energetic spaciousness that you can create as a podcast. Because I would say this, a lot of people think podcasting is about making content, about generating stuff, right? Making stuff. But in my mind, the spaciousness, very similar to music, you know, happens in the spacious of notes. So how you articulate or how you create the quality of the spaciousness would dictate the quality of the listening experience. And again, I think you're really, really good at it. And not a lot of people talk about the spaciousness that happens between notes. Is there anything else you wanted to add? Maybe energetically, maybe spiritually, any, anything that you wanted to contextualize this question even further? I would say to that point, there's probably something going on that I'm not conscious of. And what I mean by that is I spend a lot of time in the space of no space. And that's just with me personally of like sitting down, meditating, going about my thoughts and just going deeper within my mind. And if I didn't do that practice, if I didn't meditate for 20 minutes a day, if I didn't if I didn't have that as a core of my being, there is no doubt in my mind that the space that you're describing would not be the same. I would either be too, too much pressing on the person, too assumptive, or I would be not assumptive enough or not pressing enough. And I think that the space you're describing is a result of me spending time deep in my own mind and I think that there's something going on that I'm not 100% cognizant of. Hmm. <clears throat> so upon reflection on what you said, for me, uh, a podcast experience is a, a magnifier of, or, or amplifier or product, whatever way you, you say this, of a spiritual energetic transmission to, between two people. Yeah. And, and the space that we create, I'll use a coaching um, uh, analogy. I, the ideal coach, from my perspective, create a space for the person to be wholly themselves yeah. as they are with all of their idiosyncrasies, with all of their brilliance, with all of their shadows, whatever the thing is. So then they feel free to explore what's it truly like to be listened to or show up as a, as a spiritual being living in human life. To me, that's a potent coach. Yeah. And I think podcasters does the same thing in an energetic sense. How can we create that space by our curiosity and intensity and then, you know, passion to, to um, draw out, to inspire the person, unique expression that may, they may not have ever had the chance to do that. Yeah. I think that it comes from a place of, yo, whatever occurs, whatever happens, happens. And that is what, whatever happens is 
what is supposed to have happened in that moment and being okay with that. If you cough in the middle of me speaking, that's completely cool. If you have to take a call, if you have to being okay with what is and not fighting reality is such an important part of the process. And to understand that people are whatever they do, they do, and that's okay. And to let it be and to, to just be okay with what is and not try to fight it is 1000% um, a reason why my podcast has touched people at the level you're talking about. It's because it's okay if you did something wrong or you did something right or you in, in the conversation you had to get up or whatever. It's all good. It's all good. And that mindset and that belief has really helped me create beautiful conversations for people because I just let people be who they really are. Mm. And do you, do you think that that's the mark of a great interviewer from your perspective? Because you mentioned Oprah, uh, Jeff, uh, Joe Rogan, Tim Ferriss. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know because I think Joe Rogan does because it's three hours and it's just like, this is who the person really is. And he says like the first hour is to get them open enough so that by the second hour, you could really understand who they are. So maybe, um, but I don't, I haven't heard them talk about that topic specifically. So, so on, well, I mean, we're all, I don't know them personally. Yeah. Right? So we're, I'm projecting here. I'm speculating. Totally. So I don't know. Um, but I only mentioned those names because you mentioned those names. You said you want to be this generation's Oprah and, Tim, uh, and Joe Rogan, and then you mentioned Tim Ferriss. So, you know, I look up to, um, well, Joe Rogan, um, Tim Ferriss, but more. Let's see, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a becoming a, a new fan of you. So thank you. Yeah, yeah, you are on that list. The, the the Charlie Rose the the Howard Stearns right how can you you know use very intentionally different mechanics different techniques to for people to say things that they surprise them in themselves yeah I I think for me how I do that is deep research mm. and so I don't I think I got that part from Tim Ferriss and maybe I get a different part from Joe Rogan of like just letting people be who they are. And I think this is the thing about interviewing and writing and a lot of other creative pursuits, I'm sure, is like you just steal from your heroes and you create a version of your heroes that is works. And it and it takes time for that to occur. It's like I can't remember which author hand copied another author that he loved. Where I think it was like the great Gatsby, he hand copied it word for word just so he could hear or feel what it felt like to write an incredible novel. Mm. And it's like what you do is you just copy your heroes until you become your own hero. And mm. that that's really what I'm doing with interviewing. It's like you need to study the greats if you want to become one and take okay. what's great. Yeah. Okay. Go for it. So so on that note, <clears throat> um 
So how we met is through our dear friend uh, Esprit, right? She had a whole podcast cohort. She was teaching them some mechanics and some content around the tools, the techniques, the frameworks, and all those things. And while I agree with you, yes, copy form until you transmute them or turn them into your own style. But at the same time, I think the caveat that um, a lot of teachers don't say is, but if all you do is copying, then you're not really internalizing the the lessons per se, right? Totally. Which I don't think that's what you were saying. No, not at all. I, I'm not. I'm not suggesting that you try to be Joe Rogan or try to be Tim mm -hmm. Ferriss. Mm -hmm. What I am saying is that if you see something that they do, something that they say, a way they say something, see how that feels for yourself. One thing that I do mm -hmm. is I keep a list of great questions for mm -hmm. interviewing, which I'd be happy to share with you. Yeah. Um, and it's just a, it's probably now like 30 questions. And I started it, I don't know, maybe like three months ago, six months ago. Just, just whenever someone says a good question, I hear it in a podcast. I hear somebody do something spectacular or get an answer out of somebody. I just write it down. And I hope that by virtue of writing it down, and reviewing it every week or so, one of those questions might pop up in an interview you listen to. And you might say, wow, where'd he get that question from? Well, I stole it from this person or that person. And that's that's kind of what I mean. It's like, take the good parts. Well, okay. So since you dropped that gem, what's one example of such a question? Yeah. So let me pull it up because I... <laughs> okay, sure. I'll, I'll give you... Many, a memory test? <laughs> yeah. I'll give you many examples. Of okay. Great questions for podcasting slash interviewing. So one I like. This was used originally by Erica. Erica, the Barstool CEO, said, "What is something you've mastered, and what is something you're still learning?" And I thought mm -hmm. that was such a a great way to. The reason why I liked that question was because one, she asked it to Gary Vaynerchuk, and Gary said wow, that's a great question. And he stopped. And I was like, huh, okay, that's interesting. Let me copy that. And the reason why I like it is because in one sense, like you did before, you said, what's a positive thing about yourself and what's a negative thing, basically, when you're saying like, are you a critic or a fan? When you can make and understand and show people like you're a fan of yourself and you're a critic, it there's something nice about that. It contextualizes people in a way that, is hard to do. So what is something you've mastered? What is something you're still learning? That's one I like. Another is what is the best possible future invention or discovery for humankind? This is more of a content question. So that's noting that from Stephen Dubner. Another mm. from Stephen Dubner is what are things you do to keep yourself happy and moving forward every day? That's more of a mm. personal question focused on. And so everyone's going to have different answers to that. But the I get so excited about questions because questions are an impact our reality in a major way. And say more about you, that. What do you mean? If you if you ask a different question, you get a different answer and you get a different perspective on the world. If I ask you, hey, how was your day? That's a different question than what was the most exciting thing that happened in the past 24 hours? Mm. 
that's going to elicit a different response, a different emotion, and a different feeling to the conversation. Well, I was really excited about this. This happened. My brother just called me and it was great. We talked for 20 minutes. But if I say to you, how was your day? You might not say, well, my brother just called me for 20 minutes and it was, so you could get the same response, but in a totally different way because you just chose to frame it differently. And that's what doing 250 episodes in the last two years has really taught me is the way you frame reality impacts other people's perspectives of reality and then impacts your perspective. And if you do this to yourself, you frame a different reality for yourself. And it's just based on the questions you ask. So if you want to get better at living life, a more full, a rich existence, start asking better questions and you will. Yeah. Yeah. The quality of your life depends hugely on the quality of the question that you ask. Shout uh, out Tony Robbins. Yes. Yes. I, did he originate this? I believe so. Okay. I believe he was okay. the creator of that quote, okay. or maybe okay. he wasn't. Okay. But okay. I've heard him say, it I mean, it's one of those truisms that like, yeah, it makes a lot of sense, right? Because oh, questions, I think, okay. So, so as an expert of using questions, to me, questions are irresistible. You cannot resist a question. Like there's just no way of, you, you, because, like, you can resist. Hey, I say the sky is black. I and fuck that guy's not black, right? Like rejection. Yeah. But if I ever ask you, is the sky black? I just using that very simplistic, like, oh, I don't know. Is it like your brain just automatically goes to work? There is no resistance to questions. So if you are a expert of using questions or asking questions in an intent way, it's an amazing, I won't say technique, but amazing tool to inception ideas in people's mind without them being able to resist it altogether. Because it opens a loop, right? Mm -hmm. Like you open, the, this is what social media has done so effectively. It When you open the app, it creates an open loop in your head. Oh, I've got this notification. I have to check it out. Oh, this person did this. I have to. Questions are the same way. It opens a loop in the mind and then you need to hear an answer or hear if you're the one being asked the question, you need to answer the question, at least in your mind, in order to proceed. Mm -hmm. Because it, I don't know why that is though. It's fascinating. I, I never considered why questions force an open loop. Like, what do you think? <laughs> I don't know. I think that's the evolution of human brain. I think um, I don't have any data any sophisticated way sophisticated way to articulate this but our brains evolved to be problem solving machines right so yep. to me question is a direct form of a quote unquote problem or a challenge and then the, the brain goes to work to solve it consciously or unconsciously just how our brain evolved to do so yeah uh have you ever looked into, by the way, this is totally random, but have you ever looked into, this whole conversation is random, but it's, it's I love it. <laughs> and that's, the, right? that's what part, I love. Part of letting, our intention. Yeah, <laughs> let, letting people be who they are. It's so, so random. Life is so random. The tangents. Have you looked into neuro-linguistic programming or a more direct form of asking questions for some specific intended outcome? No, I have not. I'm going to write it down because I 
I have an NLP book, like a beginner's NLP type book. And I know Tony Robbins studied it, studied it at some point, but I haven't dived into it for the purpose of question asking or really at all. So do you have any recommended resources if you uh, have? No, none specifically, but I would say as a, as a, as a, as a, as a teacher, as a coach whose job is to, um, elucidate the narratives of one's mind, as well as guiding them towards the narratives that they want to have reinforced, as well as letting go of narratives that they no longer serve them. I'm looking to <clears throat> these type of fields like hypnosis, affirmations, because yeah. to me, these are all critical skills to live a full, healthy, abundant life. The, the highest performers that I know of the, you know, in, in any kind of domains, they experience all of the human emotions and thoughts just like the rest of us. But I think the key difference is they can process negative thoughts, negative emotions very effectively. So these are, I, I believe, human skills to, to thrive. It's so fascinating that you say that because... I was talking to a girl one time and explaining to her my thought process around some negative thing that had happened. And I was like, well, I'll, I'll just look at it like this. Like, it's all good because this reason, that reason, this reason. And she said, I wish I could look at the world that way. And it hit me in that moment that what I do in reframing is actually a skill. And it's actually beneficial. And I, I don't think I do anything special. But maybe that's just because I'm in my own brain. I don't give credit to it in that way. Whereas if somebody else who was dealing with difficult situations or something like that might say, oh, I wish I could look at the world that way. So, yeah. So <clears throat> quick question. So you've talked to 250 amazing thought leaders, you know, um, culture shifters of the world. Yeah. How has that shifted your own taste? or conversations do you get so a couple of choices do you get juiced up to talk to everyone that way or do you get like huh, you know regular conversations are kind of bland for me i really want to talk to domain experts with very very nuanced understanding of something so then they can articulate you know the depth of uh what's it mean to be alive so it's a great question and i I recently heard my friend Dickie Bush uh, say something interesting, I think on Creative Elements, which is a great podcast. And that was the second time that he had been on. And he said, basically, the, the host, Jay Klaus, asked him, what, sometimes I have these friends who have blown up, creators who have blown up. And when I spoke to them, you know, the first time and became friends with them, they had a thousand followers. And then, you know, the next time I spoke to them, they had a hundred thousand followers. Like, should I be scared to talk to them? Should I, should I feel weird about reaching out to them? Something along those lines is what he asked. And Dickie said to him, you know, I've grown from 22,000 followers to 200,000 in the past two years. Does that mean that I became a hundred times smarter, a hundred times wiser, a hundred times more effective as a person? Of course not. 
But sometimes we perceive that to be the case when we look at these quote unquote experts or thought leaders or people who have made it quote unquote. We think of them as above us in some respect and it just couldn't be further from the truth. They are just further along on their path and have built an audience. And so to answer your question, which I think is a really good one, is like, do I get more excited for certain people than others? Yeah, I think that's, I think I do, but I'm excited to talk to people in general. And I'm as excited to talk to you as I was to talk to Gary V. truly. Like, and the reason for that is because people excite me and conversations excite me at such a deep level. You can probably hear it in my voice. It's like other people's perspectives and ideas can shift the way you look at the world. And because of that, like it's so incredible. We get to transfer the knowledge we've had in our life from my mind to yours and yours to mine. And together we can create something together that's beautiful. And so it doesn't matter that somebody has more followers or more expertise or more knowledge. I'm just excited to talk to people. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. <clears throat> um, I think that, I mean, in some ways it's hard to fathom um, because you're 26. And, and again, not to trivialize what's it like to be 26, but in my, when I was 26, I, I didn't have the level of maturity the way that you were thinking about this. Um, to, to me, all I'm trying to say is, is impressive, right? It's awesome. I love that. And that, um, yeah, I think, I think it's, and this is one thing I'll say to the younger CKs of the world, or because I'm fully qualified, right? I'm talking to the younger CKs that if you wonder whether or not you should say something, say something anyway. Because everyone has different energetic vibrations, right? What's going to resonate with Danny is not going to resonate with CK necessarily. So if you want to say something, the younger CKs or those that resonate with you will resonate with you. And those that won't, that won't. Anything you want to say about that? Yeah. So from your perspective, what happened was you were afraid to say things. That's mm -hmm. what I'm getting. Why, yeah, why is that? Why were you afraid to say things? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, at the core of it is I want to make sure it's right before I say it. Ah, I see. Right. I can give you rationalization of, yes, my scientific background is about facts. What about your research? So there's the macro environment training me to think that way too. But as I get more mature over time and I realize, hey, one, <clears throat> Every person on this planet have level of insecurities. I don't care who you are, right? Even if you're a Nobel laureate, you know, there, there is that. But, but also, um, what is the level of confidence that you want to say? What's, the, what's your truth? Like, at what point do you feel confident to speak your truth? I think, I think at the end, that's, that's when it comes down to. What do you think helped you increase the level of confidence you had in your own thoughts about whether or not they were right so that you could speak? Um, man, this is a, a deep question. So I'm trying to, to give you a thoughtful answer. I think 
a big part of it is just I'm 44 today, right? So just haven't lived long enough to know that truth is very relative. Truth is relative. Now, some people may say, well, what about music and mathematics? All of that correct. What about science? All of that correct at the same time. All of those things built on some level of a, uh, assumptions, right? So it's what they say, turtle all the way down. If you just Google that phrase, you'll see it, right? So, so what is the what is the assumptions one makes? Let's see, I forgot my train of thought. Turtle all the way down, right? Turtle all the way down. So therefore, <clears throat> what I have to say is valid to some people. I'm qualified to say something, and that answer has layers because not just factual but also there's a spiritual component to to it as well um i actually learned this from one of my podcast guests jeff spencer he said he is the corner man of former uh of lance armstrong uh, bono uh tiger woods associates a high you know high 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 level of a um, high performance coach for 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 these people and he, he said a sentence to me that left an impression. He said, there's only one of you ever existing in all of eternity, <sighs> ever. That's good. Right? The, the unique combination of DNA, background, circumstances, parents, education system, life challenges. There's only one of you ever, ever would exist in all of eternity. So therefore, what are you waiting for to share your unique perspective? So that's that's a that's a huge um, pivotal moment when I heard that when I actually internalized that sentence. It's almost as if we get we get nervous or sharing up for sharing our truths. But my question to that is always like, what's the alternative? And what, what are you scared of happening? When mm. I started to get in touch with myself and be more conscious of what I was doing on a day-to-day -day basis and seeing how I had grown, I felt comfortable sharing my truth because I figured and said to myself, like, this is what I believe now. This may not be what I always believe. And that's okay. There are tweets I go back and look at 2018. I'm like, I wouldn't have said that today. I wouldn't have looked at, said that in that particular way today. But I, I'm so grateful for my younger self for having the courage just four years ago to share the truth of the world in that moment because it's something to look back on. It's something to reflect on and it's something to show growth. If I didn't tweet in 2018, I would have grown, but today I wouldn't have been able to witness that growth. And when we speak and we record it and we publish it, which is something a lot of people are scared to do, you are staking a flag of saying, this is what I believe in this moment. But at the same token, you're giving your future self reference and checkpoint to see, have I grown? Have I changed? Would I still agree with this? Would I not? And I think that's a beautiful thing and I hopefully will be able to do that until the day I die 
just give myself little checkpoints throughout the internet and throughout time and through recordings and publishings of like, this is where I was at at this moment. And how beautiful. Now you attributed that level of confidence to your parents. You want to say more about that just real quick? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my parents are incredible people in the sense of they always let me be who I am and they didn't judge me for going down a particular path. For example, I started a blog when I was 13 years old, a time management blog. And my parents didn't say, you have to take this off right now. This is, you know, this is crazy. You're putting your writing online, which is what some people who were over the age of 30 would have suggested to somebody in 2009 of you should be putting you shouldn't be putting your thoughts on the internet. And again, I did it at 15 years old. I started a different a Nick's blog and not there was no kid in my high school who was starting a Nick's blog at 15 or at 18. It just wasn't something people did in 2010, 2011. But my parents were like this is awesome. Let me drive you to this event. Let me help you in this way. And because of my parents' ability, their subtle nods to me of like yo, what you're doing is cool. Keep going. Even maybe they didn't explicitly say that, or I can remember them saying that at any time. They always were like, keep doing your thing. Keep growing, keep building. And I'm so grateful for that because I'm doing the podcast now because no one shut me down when I was 13 or 15 years old. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing to hear how much of that safe container, safe space, your yes. parents allow you to explore with confidence with courage yeah and 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 at a young age you, you didn't know any better you're like oh okay the world's like that so let me go out and explore and then do that and you continue to do that today even right so that's a beautiful thing i yeah uh how lucky were you to have uh i i hope we call your mom yesterday <laughs> of course we spent a lot of time together yeah that's yeah. awesome that's, that's really beautiful. But it's something that I realized that not everyone has. When mm. I spoke to my friend Paul Millard, who I think you would really like as well if, you, if you've um, stumbled across him, mm. his whole, whole thing is about work and our relationship with work. And I was explaining to him just how my mom listens to every podcast, like my brother, and how that's great amazing. It, that's it's awesome. crazy. It's that's crazy. Great. It's so cool. Um, and it just made me feel so grateful because he was saying that you know the book was something the book that he published was something that his parents were really proud of and it was like the first time that that had happened since his online journey and i was explaining to him about my parents and like how my mom's listening to every podcast and i just felt so grateful for that to happen and uh yeah i mean it can't be stated enough like encouraging people in their pursuits, the people you love is so valued and so important. And if there's somebody who's doing something in your own life who is weird or it's slightly weird, but they're really excited about it, like what are the subtle ways you can show appreciation for that? For me, it's my mom listening to everything and being able to, to go back and forth. For like me doing it to my brother, it's like he has this app that he's building and talking to him about it and asking him how the progress is going. So I think it's just finding subtle ways to help cheer on those who are in your life, who are doing 
interesting or or quote unquote weird things in their own lives. Okay, so let's go down that rabbit hole. Um, you're known as someone who is a great relationship builder, community builder, or relationship builder, right? Yeah. So, what are some of the the actionable things that you do that you could share with those that said, "Hey, I wanted to build, you know, a network or uh, you know, uh, relationships with people that's important in my life." <clears throat> so, what are some of the actionable things that you do or don't do to build relationships with human beings? First of all, yeah, one big thing I do is. I reach out whenever I stumble across a piece of content or something online that I like. So you were talking about relationships in the sense of like podcast and network of people who trust me. It's like there are subtle ways to literally just show love, right? I'll, when I research podcasts, I go through maybe five or 10 different episodes that the guest has been on. And I go through them and I, I try to figure it out. Like, who are they? What as part of my prep? And every once in a while, I'll find a podcast that blows me away where I'm like, this interviewer is incredible. I love how they did this. This is amazing. And then I do a little thing after that, which is the most important part. I send a screenshot of the, the podcast that I've listened to it and I send it to the host and I say, I really appreciate what you did here. It was incredible how you were able to take this conversation to this place. You do amazing work. Mm. Radio Rahim was just on Joe Rogan's podcast. And for the last hour and a half, he delivered an incredible interview of Joe Rogan where I was like, yo, this guy is killing it. The questions he's asking, is, it made me so excited the way he was able to navigate. And so what did I do? I sent him a little message. Yo, the interview you did with Joe Rogan when he was interviewing you was incredible. Like, thank you so much. I don't know if he'll ever see it. I don't know if he'll ever respond. It doesn't even matter. The point is just sending more love out in the universe and not just for Radio Rahim and people who, who already have a bunch of love coming their way, but like for an unknown podcaster who has like 100 downloads an episode or whatever. Like just a, I try to give love to wherever I can with no, no care about whether someone's going to see it, whether it's stupid. I'm not afraid to use my voice to give people mm. love. And I think that's a, a really important part about building and maintaining relationships in general. Mm. Acknowledgement is your currency of love, huh? Exactly. And what do you do when you do deep research and you go into someone's past? What you're really doing is you're acknowledging them and you're giving a wink to them. And that is the currency of love is like just acknowledging somebody's past because so often, we don't ask how you're doing. We don't, we just go to the next meeting. We don't really spend time to love on somebody, to really think about them, to look at the world through their perspective. And that's what I attempt to do by making people feel seen. I love that. You know, one of my personal practice is taking on acknowledging someone whenever I see someone doing something good in the world. You know, just, you know, I call people up and I say, hey, I heard you did something great in this Zoom meeting or this podcast or whatever thing that I see them do. It just they're trying, they're, they're, they're showing up and they're, they're, they're creating, they're contributing to the world. I, I make a point to however small, 
just let them know like, hey, I see what you're doing. Keep it up. Keep going. And people really appreciate that. And then I think in, in overall, we just don't acknowledging people enough. So I do my part, I hope, to make a however small of a difference for them. Did you always do that or is it a mm. practice that has come more recently? Uh, I wouldn't say recently. I would say um, the last, I don't know, seven years or so. What changed eight years ago? It wasn't, it was just a realization that life is too short. Right? Yeah. Rather than reserving our best acknowledgements to someone's eulogy, that's what most people do, right? Like, yeah. we'll save the best. And when they die, then I'll tell them how important or what kind of difference they make in the world. I just think that's silly. So while do that while people are still alive. And, and I, actually, now that you asked that question, I would say what really pivoted for me was when I started doing like plant medicine ceremonies. Wow. Just realizing the shortness of life and how beautiful this currency of love, this sacred exchange could happen at any moment. So, yeah, I think also when you start looking for places to insert love, it makes the experience of life a lot more richer. It gives you the power to be like, oh, well, this is just a normal, uh, quote unquote, normal encounter at the grocery store. How do I make this experience full of love for the person on the other end? Okay. So, yeah. okay. So, so go into that more. <clears throat> yeah. So one thing I did was 30 days of talking to random strangers. One of the experiments I did. And what I noticed often was it would be like 11 o'clock at night. And I'd be like, Oh my God, I haven't spoke to anyone all day. Like I need to get somebody. <laughs> so I'd go to the gas station and I knew there was always somebody working 24 seven at, at the gas station at, behind the counter and i'd just be like hey how are you doing like how is when is your shift end how long have you been working here what's going on in your life and dude the level of connection and the appreciation and love that they felt by literally just asking like oh wow like dude you'd be amazed like no one's asked me how i'm doing here's 50 percent off this here's take this for free do this so, like oh my god like those people some of those people are so starving for love in that moment that they're willing to give you free things like just by showing you care. So yeah, that happened a bunch of times and I, I was amazed. And also what, it's crazy what happens to you. I mean, like I remember being a regular at this coffee shop in the city and it was like a, it was, it was like a chain rest, a uh, chain coffee shop. And I would, I would literally just like get into five minute conversations with people asking how they're doing, asking what's good, asking like, like just being there for the person, and like showing up often. I literally got free coffee like 10 times. It was just weird. It was just like, oh, wow. Like people really appreciate love. Like that's what it is. So that's a little bit on that. Have, have you had similar experiences? And I'm not doing it for the free stuff. I'm not of doing course, it. For, of course. It's just I like. A crazy benefit that happened. I think that's implied. So, but I'm yeah. glad you you made it explicit. <laughs> you're not doing it for the free stuff. You're doing it as a genuine um, human, genuinely want to want to connect and acknowledging people. Yes, yeah, that's exactly sure. right. And that that's the joy. That's the reward in and of itself is you connecting deeply with another human. 
And that's like, if you really sit in that reward, you realize like how powerful that is because then I go back to meditating and I sit in nothingness. I sit in, wow, what would life be like if it was just this? What mm. would what would the universe be if I'd never experienced life? I just experienced blackness forever. And it really makes you appreciate the connection to a stranger. It makes you appreciate a connection to a friend. It makes you appreciate a, a thought leader that comes on your podcast and now you get to talk to them. It makes you appreciate life and connection in a way that I'd previously never had. So, mm. yeah. Have you ever heard the African um, adage called Ubuntu? I don't think so. Ubuntu, U B U N T U, Ubuntu. And the loose translation is I am that you are. Yes. So, I like who I am as a human being is in direct reflection of those around me. Mm-hmm. And then, from what I'm gathering, is you acknowledge people as they are and maybe subconsciously like that's what makes your life rich and and interesting and and thriving yeah it it reminds me that was the original phrasing of you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with is Mm -hmm. like but and and it just goes to show like we are in some respect, the same. We share 99.9% of DNA, right? Humans do. And yet we so often don't treat each other like that. We treat each other like that's a that's a completely different species or that's a completely type of person or I don't like that type of person. I don't hang around that type of person. It's like, that's another person. And maybe that's idealistic of me to think like that, but I, um, I've gained a certain level of richness of life, like you were saying, from thinking that we are all people. So I have a follow-up question for you. <clears throat> this is coming from someone who, who is an introvert, or I consider myself to be introverted, and that uh, I, I like to ask deep questions, and I don't particularly like small talk, right? Yeah. So in my mind, is it inappropriate to ask at the point of sale, some deep question, <laughs> even though the intent is to connect, to acknowledge and connect. So what I do these days is I will acknowledge something special about whatever their appearance or whatever their behavior or you know how they smile, how they're being. But um, that's the extent of the exchange because of how short of what window doing the point of sale is. I'm curious to know, tactically speaking, how do you, you know, maintain appropriateness and connect and allow for the miraculous to happen during those brief micro actions or micro interactions together? If I pray for you, what should I pray for? Is a Mm. question that Mike Posner, when Mike Posner was walking across America, he had the same trouble. He said, I don't want to do small talk. I don't want, like, I really want to get deep with somebody. I want to know their soul. What are they about? What's important to them? And somebody gave him the advice. Oh, if you want to get deeper with someone, just ask. If I pray for you, what should I pray for? And he found that to be a powerful question. He found that to be something that he used often. And 
the answers that he got and the level of deepness he was able to go with people just by asking that question it's, it was remarkable to hear some of the stories he he shared. So, yeah, I would I would suggest that one. I love that. And what's what's one response that you receive that surprised you? Like, wow, wow, this store clerk or barista, <laughs> you know, had the depth of soul that I never thought was there. Like anything like that that surprised you pleasantly? Nothing comes to mind off the top of my head, and I admittedly haven't used that question often but this conversation will be a a reminder to get that question back in my repertoire um, mm. of interacting with people mm -mm -mm. um well let me ask you this another follow-up question there one thing that i do a lot is i like to be very uh, refine or or specific about the word that I use, right? But at the same time, so a lot of people appreciate it. At the same time, a lot of people also say like, man, that's such a SAT word, such a big word. <laughs> you know, use words that's more accessible to sixth graders. Come on. So how do you calibrate the precision of the words that you use at the same time, also has reach as well. That's a deep one. <laughs> Take you your know, time. <laughs> on, on that point, David Perel gave a survey to 10 of his closest friends. And he, in the survey, he had a couple of different questions, many different questions, but two of them were, what's one thing you hate about me or one thing that I should change about me. And mm. another was like, what's your favorite part about me? Mm. And one person said, you seem to ask a lot of questions and I hate how you, the way you ask the questions and it's really annoying and you, it's nonstop. Like sometimes you have to respect people's space. Mm. Another person said to what they love about him is like, you ask so many questions. I love the way you ask questions. And so my, re my reply to you is some people are going to like you for who you are and some people are going to dislike you for the very same thing. But mm -hmm. can you be content with you for how you like to express, even though some people don't like X or Y about you? Mm. Because the bigger you get, the more you scale your platform, if you so choose and, and it happens to you, the more people are going to be hating and loving you for the very same thing mm -hmm. so um that, it's that's very confusing would... huh isn't it yeah it, it's confusing <laughs> it's confusing only if you're confused with yourself mm. it, it's not confusing if you know yourself if you i understand that some people are going to be turned off by my energy and my joy and my excitement and my you know some people aren't gonna like that and those mm. aren't my people those aren't mm. me i'm not going to change who i am because those people don't like that bit of me. And so I think it's just about knowing yourself. But to answer your question about like using words and using big words, but also maintaining reach, I think you should do you. That's my perspective, at least. Is like if you mm. want big words and you, it makes you feel powerful and it, you enjoy it, it, do, it doesn't make you feel powerful, it doesn't matter. Like that's your natural inclination to speak. And so be you and, and be content with being you because I think it's a pretty cool person. Mm.
Thank you for that. Dr. Sud, uh, Dr. Seuss, um, one of the best philosophers and teachers of the world, right? He says something along the line of <clears throat> those who matter won't care. Those who care won't matter. <laughs> so uh, absolutely. Thanks for being, you know, reminding all of us just to, just to be us, right? Um, well, where, uh, where would you like to take this conversation next? How do you maintain peace and presence? Mm, deep question. How do you maintain peace and presence? Let me double click on peace and presence. What when when you say that? Can you define that further? Contextualize that a bit. Yeah. Peace and presence means to me that you're comfortable with whatever happens mm. and you're able to maintain some level of some level of stability when when the tide shift. And mm. the reason why I ask this question is because in conversations, so often the tides will shift and things you'll go in a direction you didn't expect and you'll go in a different place and you're like wow we ended up here i didn't expect that the ability to maintain peace and presence to me is one of the most important attributes of an interviewer one of the most important attributes of a person because inevitably in life things change and things are unexpected and 9-11 happens and COVID happens and Things happen that you don't expect, but can you maintain peace and presence even amongst the chaos and even when times are good and even all of it? So that's why I asked the question and my yeah. thought process. Uh, let me see if I can answer that. And I'll do a tie back to the beginning of this conversation. We started off at talking about Vipassana, right? The 10-day meditation retreat. We talk, started talking about meditation. To me, that's a internal process. Is a one may say violent. It, my experience of it was a violent process, right? From from being the crucible of my own mind for ten days, with no outlet, right? So it was it was very jarring. But I get to um, temper my steel, right, in that crucible to really find out the truth of who I am, and the state as they say in the Vipassana, is equanimity. I'm being okay with what is and allowing the waves to wash over me, the thoughts, the feelings, emotions, whatever, the body sensations. And, and that is a place of being at peace with what is. Because the mind, we experience the external world through the mind. Mm -hmm. Right? So if we can actually be at peace with what's going on as is, to accept whatever occurs within the mind as they are without being pulled into it or trying to stay away from them. And that to me is the great ingredients of being at peace. If we can do that on the regular, then in my mind, then we're, we're truly present. Then we're not being pulled. Then we can just stay on what's happening right now 
and being present. To me, in the simplest way to answer your question, that's how I answered the question. Yeah. So to sum it up, it, we should go and do a Vipassana retreat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's no should. <clears throat> Just hey, if people are called to do it, if right, whatever right. we say is like, oh, that sounds really interesting great go give it a shot right it's gonna resonate i mean i'm a intense guy i like to proclaim myself to be an intense guy i like intense things i like things spicy i like spartan rays i like you know ayahuasca i mean like i like i like deep conversations you know i like people to be able to push me to articulate certain things i mean <clears throat> I may say, but not really thinking much about, I like that. So it's not everyone's cup of tea and that's okay. <laughs> yeah, that that's exactly right. And, and I think, um, no, you just outlined a great way to, to build up the peace and presence is like put yourself in uncomfortable situations when quote unquote times are good so that you can maintain that when times are not so good and it's like you can choose suffering when times are good so that when you inevitably suffer by not your choice, you're better able to handle it. That's right. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of this whole idea of hornesis, right? How do we introduce uh, discomfort based on our own choosing such that we can fine tune that muscle of grit and resilience and, and actively choosing joy when when giving chocolate and vanilla right you know joy or suffering at all times it's interesting a lot of people think like oh if i just figure this out then i could choose joy hmm. like i that's a total illusion because everything is multifaceted so it's always joy and suffering choose joy hmm. and suffering choose joy and suffering choose what do you want to choose at any given moment. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's a powerful choice. It's a powerful dichotomy with which to frame the world, even when it seems like you, quote unquote, should be suffering, right? Um, I think, uh, like, for example, a lot of people during COVID, it's like you can, you can choose suffering in this moment or you can choose joy a lot of the times. I'm hesitant. To, to make that proclamation because it's like I when COVID was going on, I'm, I'm like, wow, like I get to spend time with my parents. I get to, you know, spend time with my brother. This is pretty joyful for me. So, um, but at the same time, I understood that a lot of people were suffering and were right to be suffering. So yeah. How so, was your COVID? Yeah. <laughs> Today is day six, as I mentioned earlier, or oh, may not, uh, of my COVID experience, my first COVID experience. And it was miserable for the first couple of days, you know, fever, chill, you know, sword, soreness everywhere and all that. And then I, I had an epiphany. I said, the, the idea was, if this was it for you, are you happy with what you contributed to the world? Now, that's a powerful question. I'm going to write that down. And then I realized that for me, I wasn't, I was still holding on to things. I was still waiting for the perfect moment 
the perfect research, the the perfect whatever to actually help people. I really wanted to make a course, right? So I've been sitting on the idea for months. And then the and then giving that idea, then I, I said to myself, you know what? I'm gonna use this as an opportunity to finish my course. So day four and five, I just finished my course. Wow. Yeah. And not to the the point it's for whoever is listening to this. The point isn't to show oh CK how amazing you are. <laughs> You could do a course even when you're on COVID. Like that's not the point. The point is to show anyone who is thinking, oh, I got to wait until my circumstance is perfect. Then I can finally contribute. Mm-hmm. No, like when there's a will, there's a way. So if CK could do finish a course while he's recovering from COVID when things are not 100%, imagine what you could do with the perfectly healthy body, mind, heart, and spirit. Like that's the point. Yeah. So you're a huge proponent of creating a life that you love using Mm. the life force, the gifts and talent that you have. And you actively do a lot of different experiments. You meet a lot of amazing people. You use your podcast as a megaphone to inspire others, right? A million people to build better habits. So, What's one thing you'll say to someone who aspire to live similar lifestyle like us? What's one thing you would say to them to do? One thing is follow joy or follow excitement. Where do you find the most joy? Where do you find excitement in your own day to day? A lot of times I was following what other people were liking because I thought it would be cool to be like that person. And so I spent a lot of time in my youth following this person and trying to be this person because that was cool or that I remember like a specific time, a specific point in my life when I I watched House of Cards and I was like, wow, it'd be really cool to be a politician. And so I thought about like being a politician for six months at a time. And it might have even coincided with the time that I applied to college because I ended up being a political science major. And I think maybe part of that is watching House of Cards right then. And so my point is that my life got better when I started following my own joy, my own curiosity, my own excitement for, wow, I'm really enjoying talking to people on the phone. Maybe I should record these. Oh, wow, I'm really enjoying interviewing. You know, maybe I should keep interviewing. And so, all the good things that have happened to me in life have fo- have happened because I've followed joy, followed curiosity, followed excitement. And it's led me down to a path where I'm, I'm really content with what I'm doing every day. But it's only because I had the, the courage to follow that joy. Mm-hmm. Danny, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you for how you show up in this conversation. Authentic. We went wherever, you know, directions that probably you never thought about uh and and hopefully that uh has fulfilled our overall outcome of you know creating new and exciting perspectives from the both of us so thank you so much for being that sacred space where people do be as they are 
and that, you know, to create a life that they love. So thanks for being here on Noble Warrior with us. Well, thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um, I'm really grateful for your deep questions and your insight and your ability to maintain peace and presence throughout this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, Um, taking a lot of notes here. And um, I'm really grateful for you as an interviewer and a person.